Hello and welcome to this, my first series of podcasts, Conversations on the Menopause. Conversations with real women like you and I about our experiences, what's worked, what hasn't worked, and our hopes and aspirations for the future. Hello and welcome. I'm joined today by uh, Dr. Sue Smith. Uh, GP, acupuncturist, NLP practitioner, behavioural change coach and lifestyle medicine practitioner, owner of, found, of Flourish for Life Limited, uh, lifestyle medical practice on the world. Hello Sue. Hello. Hi. Hello, you're a busy lady. <laughs> well, well they're all strands of the same thing really, all about health and well-being uh, yeah. which, which drives my engine. Yeah, yeah. that's what, what it's all about, really. Great. Yeah. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah. So I, I wanted to speak to you really in the first part of this podcast about how you see me- the medical model, the Western medical model of healthcare supporting perimenopause or menopausal women today. Um, because now that we're having these long-awaited conversations about the menopause, it seems almost that the medical practice and GPs are coming in for a little bit of criticism, really. And I just wondered if you, if you could shed some light on on it from a GP's perspective, I suppose. Whether you think those um, comments are justified, really, or are our expectations of GPs a little unrealistic at this time. I don't know what are your thoughts. Yeah, I think we could all agree that we've been through this rather uh, challenging uh, few years uh, since the beginning of 2020. And um, so to bring it to, to now, for 2022, a lot of the work that's being done in GPs is a, is a legacy of that. Um, in terms of the menopause care, that in itself has really... Uh, developed over the last 10, 15, 20 years. And um, I think what what we're seeing is this awareness um, in general practice building, you know, year on year, some GPs taking up a very special interest in that and others may be lacking behind, they may be specialising in other areas in general practice. Uh, most practices are a group of doctors, some doctors taking more of the load of menopause than others. Um, and the other side of the coin is that women have become far more aware of um, menopause um, and particularly perimenopause um, care and what they can potentially uh, get hold of, what, what, what particularly medications. And uh, the other big awareness, I think, is just all about symptoms, you know, symptoms that maybe 10 plus years ago weren't necessarily linked to the perimenopause. And I think a lot of it is medical advancement, medical understanding, medical awareness alongside evidence, um, but also that filtering into day to day care within busy GP practices. So I think there are individuals that maybe aren't getting directly um, the optimum care and attention uh, and there'll be others of course that are and there'll be a lot in between um, so there's still work to be done I think it's just an evolutionary thing that we're seeing here this kind of evolution of understanding um, in general practice um, of individual doctors and um, on the other side of the coin 
people, the, the women themselves. And that, 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 that might, may not be completely matched at times. And I think that's where the aggravation occurs when people maybe feel they know as much or more than the person that's sat, the professional they're sat in front of. And that can create friction and difficulty. Yeah. And that, that's quite a challenge for everybody, isn't it, really? And yes. it's how you, how you sort of make those initial conversations the best that they can be. I suppose and I suppose it's when women are going in to to the, see their GP perhaps for the first time when they are perimenopausal do you think that there is anything that that women can do to really su support themselves so that they can go in and have a conversation that's beneficial to themselves without you say causing angst and and it's a challenging time for for lots of women isn't it and it is. I think first of all to um to look outside of the GP surgery for advice and, and, and information. And there's, there's quite a lot of information out there through the British Menopause Society. Uh, many people know about the Louise Newsom Balance app, you know, Menopause Balance um, resources, which are very, very good. Both of those main ones uh, and the nice, you know, the, the um, nice guidelines, they all provide some information that people can gather pre going in to ask questions for the GP. Um, I often recommend, you know, becoming aware of symptoms through the, the menopause questionnaire themselves. So people might be able to link a pattern uh, together before they go and speak to the GP. You know, we have to put it in the context of primary care where GPs are working 10 minute appointments, which basically means most GPs will be looking not necessarily at the person in front of them as a one-off, but more as a sequence of experiences. So it could be that the person turns up with a symptom of tiredness. And maybe, you know, maybe that could be linked by, by the doctor to menopause. It may not, it may take a sequence of, of um, visits to really get to the bottom of it. Um, but the more informed the person is, the more they can take to the doctor, the quicker and easier it is for the doctor to connect the symptoms to the problem and, and to get the right solution. Because of course, not all symptoms are menopause and we have to be careful with that as well. Yes. Um, so the doctors generally, GPs are working and are hugely experienced at, at sieving through potential symptoms matching to potential diagnoses um, and some match immediately and it's very easy you know you might get someone walking in they give you textbook symptoms and then you get the other end of the extreme <laughs> where people just have maybe they're just not able to kind of eloquently give those symptoms across there may be other things in the way there could be um, a, a whole feeling of shame or mental health or uh, maybe the culture in which they've been brought up in maybe stopping them bringing everything to the table so the, the doctor maybe only sees bits and bobs of what's going on and so it can take a little bit more time to get to the bottom of what's truly happening so sometimes it's easier for the patient to take a piece of paper like this questionnaire which is readily available um, on these sites so the menopause questionnaire where they can start to tick off kind of almost bundles of symptoms that, that are associated with the perimenopause um, so 
a person may still be having periods, they may, they may be regular, they may not be regular, they may be having a predominance and some symptoms that they don't necessarily link to being in, in the menopause or going up to the menopause. It might not even be at the age they're expecting to go through the perimenopause, it may be far too early. So it can catch us unawares. So sometimes when we see a pattern of symptoms, things start to kind of fall into place. Um, the other side of that is to be aware some symptoms aren't just menopause and don't just need a single solution. Uh, it's often a, you know, a broad solution to, you know, to menopause as well. So, you know, you know, I often say, you know, hormone replacement doesn't sort out maybe beliefs and expectations that you may have in your life. You know, these are kind of other things that we need to work on alongside our hormonal balancing act that we all go through. Um, so nothing's that simple. Um, and I think each individual person has to be dealt with in, on an individual way, you know, so I can't really give single answer. I'm kind of going a bit off track there, but I think there's a, you know, in terms of the question, you know, the Western medical approach and is it valid? Is it valid? I think probably sometimes it is. I think people are just behind the curve. Um, you know, the doctors are behind the curve, but they're catching up, you know, it's like catching up very quickly. And most, most doctors practices will have someone that will have the ability to have a conversation and the other side of it, the other part of it is the lack of time, you know, to sit down to help someone to almost get it out. Because <laughs> sometimes just, people just can't do it. They haven't been trained to do it. We're not trained as, as patients. I'm a patient, you know, so we're not pa trained as patients to give a diagnosis to a doctor. We're just, we just know how we feel. And so, so that, that's, you know, translating how we feel and what with the symptoms and the emotions we're having to make sense in terms of diagnosis can be quite, you know, not straightforward, shall we say. Yeah. Yeah. And, I and I think sometimes what you hear is around people have gone to their GP and then they've had blood tests and, and they've got, for all, all intents and purposes, they've got a list of symptoms as long as your arm, and you go, oh, that's perimenopausal. And then the blood's come back and, and, they're saying, and then they said, oh, no, it's not. And that throws another potential difficulty into the whole mix, doesn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's quite a, a push, particularly in the menopause arena, to, for people that are over, certainly over 45, if you've got this batch of symptoms and there's no other symptoms that may be more like what I would call red flag concerning symptoms, that maybe you're wanting to look at this all at the same time in, in, in a different way. And of course you can, you know, you might have the things going on, um, cardiovascular concerns, for example, menopause can still be de dealt with as well you know the perimenopause can be dealt with as well at the same time and um the the, the blood tests aren't really needed you know they're not really needed at, at the stage of over 45 it's down to symptoms and symptoms alone so people have got those symptoms um, questionnaire and things yeah questionnaire um and then the doctor's job is to to filter out is it just menopause is there something else going on you know is it a bit more complicated than this um that then the blood tests can just be very misleading you know up to the menopause which is the you know the the, the year and the day after stopping period so that's when we actually say we're menopausal going forward 
up until that time, hormones go up and they go down and they go this way and they go that way. So a blood test can be very misleading. We only really consider investigating um, with blood tests um, if people are under 45 um, to kind of clarify and certainly below 40 because then it becomes abnormal um, early menopause. Um, so yeah, and then on top of that, you may want to do blood tests to investigate abnormal bleeding or symptoms that are actually more concerning that may not just be down to um, the hormonal ups and downs that we go through up, leading up to this last period. Um, and so, yeah, it, it can be a bit devastating when someone comes up and says, well, I've my blood tests are normal, therefore I'm not menopausal. Well, yes. 48, you know, average age 51, perimenopause is around seven years. You will be perimenopausal. You cannot escape this fact. You know, some people are up to later, it's average age, up to maybe 55 onwards, we generally say um, uh, women have stopped ovulating. But really you can't escape it as a female it's one of these inevitables whether you get symptoms or many symptoms whether it troubles you whether it stops your life in an awful way that's different from person to person but yeah and I think really the conversation that I'm sort of aware of at the moment is that there does seem to be this assumption that you are going to get all these raft of symptoms which yes. <laughs> which I think if I if I was 10 years younger I would be quite distressed by actually because yeah, yeah. it doesn't paint a, a very positive picture no and you know it's what is they say ignorance is bliss or whatever <laughs> I'm sure our mothers or grandmothers it was like you didn't even know the train was going to crash you know it was just <laughs> came and went you know it just didn't happen they just got on with it didn't they <laughs> some women you know experienced it maybe put it down to themselves or others or menopause some women were obviously taking HRT um, in my mother's era began very early on <coughs> others would have just kind of this is what's the norm which is what we're fighting back out up to a point because of course the norm is not necessarily our optimum now some people you know there's a, there's a quarter of people that may be flying past it without really really impacting all that much then there's the 25% at the bottom approximately that really suffer like big time, the whole wheels come off, everything happens. And then you've got the kind of batch in the middle that are kind of uh, can range from really bad to, to really not too bad at all. And there is a pressure, you're right, Louise, I think there is a pressure that maybe um, you need to take uh, some kind of hormonal replacement for this. I think it's a choice and I think my everything is a choice, you know, all a choice of cost um cost benefit you know so what does it cost you and how are you benefiting and that goes down pretty much to every informed choice everything in medicine so it could be even severe mental illness cancer therapy you know you know really bad things you know people still have a choice to to say well do you know what that's my the cost benefit to me I'm making that choice and I think that's authentically you've got to be able to be up for that informed choice yes um you know even right up to your last moment you know there's a choice there how you feel you want to be um, yeah. uh, dealt with um, and, so and that's that's quite an empowering 
thought, isn't it, really, that, you know, even when women are, some women are having a really very challenging time, that they do still have choices and there are different opportunities available them to them, really. 100%. And I think that's where, obviously, you know, I'm into the whole lifestyle thing. I think people need to be aware of the significance of lifestyle in terms of evidence base. Uh, but also need to be aware of what hormone replacement can do. I mean, we can't replace, I was thinking on it the other day, because obviously I'm, I'm 58, so I'm, I'm no, <laughs> I'm well truly gone through my <laughs> experience, and I, I won't talk about that, but, you know, I'm with you, I'm with you, you know, but um, but the, uh, the HRT, the hormone replacement, won't give us back the natural hormonal state situation we were in maybe 10 years ago because that's natural yeah what we're trying to do is simulate as much as possible that natural hormonal melee in which we exist as, as females so it's not going to be oh i'll just go back to whole wars it may be slightly different but do you know what it might be better than you were so it's one of those kind of choices and um unless you've got clear contraindications and they're very clear um, there's not that many um, that we would medically say this is really not a good idea. Um, the rest of us um, can make that, that informed choice for ourselves and not feel pressured, you know, that yeah. you're not, haven't got your patch on, you know, like everyone else or whatever it is that people are doing. You, yeah. you can then say, well, do you know what? I've, I've decided to have it or not to have it or maybe defer having it or whatever your choice is. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about having choice, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I like people to have a choice. Because when you sit people down and, and have that conversation about informed choice, what is the benefit of HRT? What's the downside? What's the benefit to me specifically? What's the downside for me specifically? And I often have women that have made it through to their 50s or, or late 40s, and they're not on any medication. You know, they're not taking anything. They, you know, maybe they've come off contraception. They, they may have even have a coily. They may not have a coily, and they've just decided to do it another way, you know, contraception. And they're just, you know, swanning along, no medication. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly, HRT is then a medication in their life. You know, it's something that they have to then take. So there is a shift. You know, that doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means there's a shift in, in what you do. Um, and that might be something that people can accept or not accept. And that's then down to that choice, you know. I think that's where that individual voice, you know, the person sat there, they're more than capable. Majority of women, almost every woman, there may be a few that really need help, can make that choice once they're informed about what there is. I think that's a really good point, actually, because when again, when you when you look at all of the information that's out there sort of in the social media, because it seems to be that it's the social media that are driving it now. Yeah. And then there there is this sort of, for me, this tone that actually we become perimenopausal or menopausal and then we can't actually cope. <laughs> you know, we can't we can't we can't function, really, because it yeah. is. Um, and, and that just makes me sad, really. Yeah, that, well, you know, yeah, sort of telling women that's what it's like, and this is how you're suppo it's supposed to feel, and that's the norm. The norm is that it's grim, where actually, maybe for a lot of women, that isn't the norm. 100%. And I know, and I, I think that, um, you know, you could you can frame it up for so many different things. You know, say, I don't know, something as simple as being diagnosed with. Um, I don't know, COPD, right? 
you know, you're a physio, you know, how that can be quite devastating. Now, if you label yourself and jump on that label, life's, you know, you could go down a route of thinking, this is it, this is terrible. But we, all, but we both know, Louise, that COPD can be managed um, and there's choices within that as well um, of how you approach that, how your life goes, you know, forward with that. So this is, this is, you know, menopause is a natural thing. So, you know, it's obviously different to COPD, but it's still this kind of um, framing up almost that, that this is expectation that, yeah, everything's going to go awful or everything's going to be awful. Somehow some kind of white knight or, you know, maybe even doctor on a, on a, on a white steed is going to come in and, and rescue you. Actually, I'd like to reverse that. I, I think it's about you're the one that's on the steed. You're the one that's in charge and you can then choose what it is that's best for you, which yeah. may be different to the friend that you go walking with or whatever, yeah. you know, and just to be, but you must be informed. And I think that's where, you know, like you say with social media and it's quite a lot of pressure and, you know, and, and there's a lot of belief. And when you, I don't know, it's a bit like, you know, on a rainy day, everyone has to feel sad. Well, actually, no. Some people love the rain and they want to get out there and the, the garden grows. How we frame up things, it makes all the difference. And um, I'm all about empowerment, as you know. So I just think it's all about empowering that person and understanding what they've got. Um, but that takes a while. That You know, I'm in a situation where I, I take time and I'm able to... Um, out of these very short 10 minute consultations so this is about facilitating that by how we we become informed ourselves with good information accurate information and that's not necessarily on social media um per se i mean i do know um uh, louise newson does a great podcast very evidence-based and informed um the app that's associated with her that's just one example there's lots of others um that you can get accurate information and and things that you can inform yourself with yeah so yeah I wanted to go back to just briefly what you meant you touched on about red flags um Mm -hmm. and I, I know what a red flag is. And I think as a, as a postmenopausal woman, as a woman now rather, sorry. Um, and now we're, we are gaining more awareness of the symptoms that are associated with the perimenopause and the menopause. When, and, I, and I've done it myself, I just sort of go, oh, well, I've got that sort of symptom. Oh, it's perimenopausal. And, and then I think there might be a tendency for women to put then everything down to the perimenopause. Because when you look at the list, the list is as long as your arm, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you can put more. And so I just wondered if you could sort of give a little bit of guidance about what potential red flag symptoms may be that women need to go and have investigated as being something separate to the perimenopause or the menopause. Well, I suppose, yeah, I mean, there's batches, aren't there? So in terms of the um, symptoms of the the, um, reproductive organs, shall we say, (laughs) ovaries and womb, you know, this is abnormalities. So it could be subtle symptoms. It could be more overt, like abnormal bleeding that's becoming more and more abnormal um, that hasn't got a pattern to it. 
you know, previously normal, now abnormal bleeding, pain, relentless pain, worsening pain, um, you know, pelvic pain with bloating and discomfort in the lower abdomen, um, uh, the cardiovascular symptoms, you might have palpitation, but have you got chest pain, have you got shortness of breath, are your ankles swelling? Um, um, what else would there be? Tiredness, uh, are you... Um, are you, are you passing normal colored stools? Are you eating the right things? Is there a potential that you're becoming uh, anemic? What's the cause of that? Do you have abdominal pain? So all these kind of other symptoms that, you know, I suppose can manifest in tiredness, palpitations, um, night sweats, pain, um, those kind of things, they might need to be looked at. Are they um, something else? You know, um, in a simple blood count, um, a, a doctor that can can assess them that properly. Um, breast pain, is it one-sided? Have you, have you checked your breasts recently? Are they healthy? Um, you know, are you having um, symptoms that for you would be new um, and sudden? I think new and sudden particularly. Um, and... Um, yeah, I think that I think there's. I mean, I could go on, but really, I'll say unusual symptoms, symptoms that are not settling down, pain that's not settling down, that's new or very severe, um, disturbances of your organs, so whether it be your your kidney, your bowels, you know, your waterworks, are, you know, maybe there's a change in colour of your wee, those kind of things, you know, kind of more things where you start thinking, hmm, this is not just hormonal. Because don't forget, perimenopause is natural. So this is something that is comes and goes, comes and goes, and it's it's kind of it might be new for you, but there's a kind of a theme to it. Um, but I think if there's uncertainty, then the thing is to go and collect the symptoms and go and get get to see a doctor if things aren't settling down yes. um, or aren't easily explained by the menopause. Yeah. No, the flip side is many people in the menopause have been diagnosed wrongly with um, symptoms that actually are the menopause. So gone for lots of medical investigations. Um, so it's just getting getting it right. Maybe that that's the right thing to do for that individual. Mental health, particularly mental health conditions, you know, anxiety, depression. Um, they are um, potentially aggravated by um, the swings and, and dips and, and swings of estrogen. Um, but you know, that might still need attention. That might still need help and attention. There. That's that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because I think again, a lot of the the sort of conversation around that is, oh, I went, well, I was in with low mood, and they gave or they gave me antidepressants when actually I was literally just, I was met perimenopausal. It's almost like it's a it's classed as being within its own entirety, and then that means that but you can't have anything else on top of that or layering that if yeah. that makes sense yeah yeah and i think that's you know that's where we need to have a bit more flexibility um both as patients and, and as probably you know medical doctors often will often will be thinking about several diagnoses at the same time so it's not something that they won't be doing um but i think it's us to kind of almost do a little bit of the work behind the scenes in terms of uh looking at our symptoms and maybe seeing if there's a um a collection of symptoms that may be happening um, that would help. And of course, you know, depending on the severity of the mental health, you know, it could be that you you have got menopausal symptoms, uh, perimenopausal symptoms, one of which might be anxiety. 
and the doctor, you know, you might want to even if you're if it's deemed safe and there's no red flags and there's nothing necessarily concerning, you know, be informed about hormonal replacement and and give that one a go. You know, maybe give it a go, see how you are three months down the line. Um, like I say, it's it's an individual conversation. I think a lot of this. Um, but most, like I said, most doctors will be looking out for this kind of stuff. They'll be looking out for, could it be something else? Which is why sometimes people are sent down these routes of investigation. Yes. And yeah. things out. And, and some of the time it's the right thing to do because yeah. these things can happen. Yeah. I think sometimes we're forgetting that, aren't we, as patients yeah. as well? That yeah, they're there as gatekeeper to more serious yes, conditions. Yes, yes. You know, diabetes, heart disease, uh, endocrine and endocrine things like thyroid. You know, there's other things going on alongside the hormone thing. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's being, doing our, um, being aware, you know, doing, doing our background work on ourselves, bringing ideally the best collection of symptoms that you're getting so that can be discussed together with the the, uh, medical professional and um, and then working together with that I think that's ideally the situation that sounds great (laughs) thank you that seems like a good place to to finish this this first part of our conversation thank you thank you You have been listening to Conversations on the Menopause with me, Louise Halliday. For a positive approach to your hormonal transition, please visit my website, atreraaromatics.com. That's Atreira, O-T-R-E-R-A, where we celebrate the nature of womanhood. You can also find me across various social media platforms. Thank you for listening and please feel free to contact me with any questions or to join the conversation. I really hope you'll join me again next time.